The Pat Kenny Show on News Talk with Matter Private Network. During current restrictions, don't ignore your health concerns. Our expert team is ready to help. Now, good morning, Luke O'Neill, Professor of Biochemistry at Trinity College in Dublin. How are you, Luke? Good morning, Pat. Very well. Now, let's talk about long COVID because you've got an update for us. Yes, there's lots of stuff happening there. But as, as I discussed last week, the amount of research is incredible. Every day now I'm seeing stuff on long COVID. It's like the vaccine excitement, what, a year ago. So the latest is, and, and we knew this kind of from anecdotal reports and a couple of studies, vaccination protects against long COVID, which is really good. Uh, there had been suggestions that was the case. But now two big studies, one in the UK and one in Israel, show that if you're vaccinated and boosted, uh, you're much less likely to get long COVID. Basically, so it gives us another rationale, of course, as, there, as if we need one to take the vaccine, it's, it's to decrease the risk of long COVID as well as other other consequences. Do we know who's most likely to to suffer from long COVID? I mean, in terms of the age cohort or your health and fitness? There's kind of no rhyme or reason to it. It's incredible. I mean, the good thing is that there's so many people with it in the world now we can study them, you know, and that, that gives us a great set of, 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 of scientific questions to try and answer. No rhyme or reason. Any age can get it. It's inclined to be more common in older people. So the over 50s are inclined to see more of it. Uh, females more than males on average are inclined to report more symptoms, you know. But basically Basically, you can't really predict it. Like, in other words, you, you might think severe disease might give rise to it. That's not the case. Mild illness can result in long COVID as well. So it's a complicated one. It's probably four or five different kind of syndromes, I think, at this stage. So it's quite complicated, really. But, but it's hard to predict who, who's going to get it and who isn't. Now, the, the thing about the UK studies, they um, looked at uh, people who had long COVID. How did they define that? I mean, was it, you know, you're suffering from it a week, a month, two yeah. months? post-infection. That makes it difficult because it's so variable. You know, there's, there's a long list of symptoms basically. The, the key symptoms are fatigue, breathlessness, on exertion, brain fog is a big one, Pat, so you can't concentrate and you have trouble, you know, your slight memory problems and so on. You know, muscle pain is a big one. So there's a list of criteria. And then they've got imaging now. It's really great. I mean, you can image someone's lungs and you can see signs of it, you see, and that, that's a really robust thing to measure as opposed to someone just saying they, they feel a symptom, you can measure it, you know. And then using those criteria, you know, you can kind of home in on it, is the way to think of it. The uh, activity that gives rise to long COVID within the body, what's this about your own immune system just <laughs> doesn't switch off? Yeah, what, what is that about? Yeah, we, we know it's immune mediated. So the immune system is, is still active, basically, post-infection. So the war is over, if you like, but the troops haven't stood down. And there's more and more evidence for that. Now, why would that be? It could be genetic. It could, there's various things going on there. You know? But it's your own immune system that's causing the symptoms. And you feel like as if you have a cold. And if you feel tired, you know, your anxiety can be part of it as well. So all those symptoms are being driven by your own immune system. And then the question is, why is the immune system firing off? Two options. One is it's been reset by the infection and now sort of the settings have changed, you know. The second one is there are remnants of virus still there that are burning away and still triggering an immune response, you know. So they're the kind of two options. But we know it is immune. And of course, that gives us the hope of treatments because you might develop ways then to limit that immune response. What do they understand about brain fog? Because uh, it, this is not the only virus that might give rise to what people describe as brain fog. Yeah, m- many post-viral diseases have brain fog, which means, as I say, you can't concentrate, your memory is impaired slightly, all those various symptoms, you know. And yet again, lots of research happening now. So first of all, um, in the brain, a cell type called the microglial cell, there's a new, a new word for you. It's, it's actually part of the brain's immune system. They seem to be slightly active, so they're burning away in the brain. That's one possibility. 
particularly for that symptom is a big one. The second one is they can measure in the cerebrospinal fluid. That's the fluid that bathes your brain. They're taking samples now from long COVID patients and they're measuring immune proteins in that fluid. And sure enough, they're up. You know, in other words, there is an immune activation there. What was great about was HIV patients get brain fog. It's quite a common feature of AIDS. And again, mm-hmm. the same proteins are dysfunctional in the HIV patient as in the long COVID patient. And again, that tells us there's a common process here in those two viral, post-viral or viral situations you see. So again, that gives us the evidence that it's immune mediated in many ways. You know. And again, measuring this is very powerful because, because this gives us a, a diagnostic. And then secondly, gives us the things to fire drugs at to treat that brain fog. The second one that's really interesting, people on chemo often report brain fog. It's quite a common symptom of, of chem- chemotherapy and cancer. And it's called chemo fog, actually, they call it, you know. And yet again, they can see changes similar with chemo fog, as we're seeing with, with uh, long COVID. So again, you can see overlap mm-hmm. here with, with various situations where for some reason, again, the, the immune component begins to go off kilter and begins to cause these symptoms. Uh, I don't know if you saw that story, Luke, about uh, some patients who were suffering from long COVID and then they developed other conditions for allergies. So they decided to take antihistamines, you know, which would be the normal thing to deal with their allergies. And lo and behold their symptoms of long COVID diminished. This is striking. Yeah, you spotted that and you said I'd seen it. Yeah, it was incredible. So there's two studies on this. Now, again, if this holds up, it'd be tremendous, because antihistamines are very safe. You can buy them over the counter even, you know. So there were two people who had allergy and long COVID. They took antihistamines and lo and behold, the long COVID symptoms began to resolve. Now, there's only two people. That makes you a bit concerned because it's not, not enough. To, it's anecdotal, you know. But then meanwhile, a second study uh, involving uh, 49 people, they gave 26 of them antihistamines or only um, 23 in the control group and of the ones given the antihistamines um, 19 of them responded out of 26 you see whereas the control group who weren't given the antihistamines only 6 showed uh, improvement you know and again that's a good that's a good difference isn't it so that suggests that the antihistamines are giving relief to the symptoms and again we're talking fatigue rash is a symptom by the way and of course histamine can cause rashes that makes sense then, you know. So in other words, antihistamines may be an option. Now, what they're saying is let's do a bigger trial now because those numbers are quite small really, you know. But still, it could be histamine, which remember comes out of your immune system. We know we know a lot about histamine actually in immunity and allergy. Maybe histamine is being made in long COVID and causing some of these uh-huh. symptoms. So again, antihistamines could be a real prospect there. Okay. Um, some of the stuff coming in from our listeners. Um, when you have Luke on, could you ask him about a drug called AXA1125, which is being developed by Axella to treat uh, mitochondrial dysfunction in long COVID patients and whether that might also work to treat uh, mitochondrial, uh, mitochondrial issues as a result of long Lyme disease? Yes, very interesting that actually, yeah, because one of the symptoms is lack of energy, if you like, and, and the fatigue aspect, you know. Now, mitochondria are the power house of the cell and anybody who's done biology would have heard of them. Mitochondria are where you make I think an ATP which is needed for, for anything that needs energy you know and there's evidence that mitochondrial dysfunction might be part of long COVID and that's why you feel a bit tired you know so again a drug that would boost the mitochondria that drug is boosting mitochondrial function if you like and souping up the mitochondria again to, to go back to normal if you like and there's a big effort there there's a group in Newcastle I just was speaking to last week about this actually so, so the mitoc- that's a really interesting question so, so boosting mitochondria may well be a way to treat long COVID you never know and again the, the be trials running on that as we speak. 
Yeah. Uh, long COVID symptoms sound much the same as many autoimmune diseases such as Hashimoto's, which is thyroid disease. Uh, maybe treatment for long COVID might help uh, us with other autoimmune diseases. Precisely. And, and that gives us the evidence it's immune dysfunction, it's the heart. People with things like rheumatoid arthritis will report these kinds of symptoms, remember, fatigue and so on. Again, that's the immune system firing off too much in the case. And in an autoimmune disease, of course, there's no infection, but it's the immune system over, overreacting, you know. So again, the overlap with the immune system is very clear and that's a really good point because another dividend we think from all this research will be treatments for symptoms of long COVID in other contexts you know now we mainly think of things like Lyme disease for instance where it's quite common post-Lyme people report these persistent symptoms any viral infection can give rise to post-viral fatigue it's also called chronic fatigue syndrome as, as we may as you may have heard of so in other words we may get a treatment outside COVID from all this research that's happening in COVID now, this is an interesting one from Cheryl. She says, my 15-year-old got mild COVID on the 1st of January. She's into week seven of long COVID, headache, nausea, fatigue, palpitations, breathlessness, shaking, brain fog. Is her immune system compromised now? And is she more susceptible to picking up other viruses? Should we consider her to be medically vulnerable until her recovery? That's from Cheryl. It, 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 it's hard to know. If anything, the immune system is slightly more active. Those symptoms are consistent with a slightly overactive immune system. So that might be somewhat protective, you see. So, but it's complicated. Yes, you need to be careful. So, so the key advice, by the way, to everybody is if you have these symptoms, go and see your GP. There are long COVID clinics in the hospitals now because it's, it's recognised as a very serious thing. I mean, if, if as many as the Israeli study says one in three get it, you can imagine the number of people in Ireland then who must have some element of this. So, so the advice is always to seek, seek medical advice if, if, you, if you're worried about it. Uh, Vincent wants to know, does COVID affect the kidneys? It does, yeah, there's some evidence for that. See, the virus can get anywhere in the body, really, and latch on to any tissue, you know. And there is some evidence, a minority, again, will show some kidney dysfunction as well. And, of course, the heart is the other big organ that we worry about with this virus, too. So so it's more than just your lungs. Now, again, not everybody. It'll be a subset. We'll, we'll see other organs being involved. And um, now, look, on masking, you know, we expect NEFA to give some sort of guidance to government later today. But this is a, a question from a listener. Could you ask, Luke, how likely it is for someone to catch coronavirus if they don't meet the definition of a close contact? Yesterday, I spent a few minutes indoors, about three metres away from someone who unwittingly had left isolation a day early, but had no real outward symptoms. The person was boosted, had a negative antigen test and was wearing two masks, yeah. one an FFP2 masks, and I was wearing a mask as well. The person was talking but not coughing or sneezing. My elderly parent was with me also, so I'm a bit concerned even though she too was masked and we never spoke directly to this person. It's hard to know. I mean, the trouble is if someone's really infectious and they're emitting a huge amount of virus, it'll break through a mask, you know? It'll break through anywhere really, you see. So there's a risk that that person sadly was yeah. highly But this infectious. person wearing two, two, two masks, masks, one an FFP2 You'd imagine it should be protected. You'd be fairly yeah, safe. There, should, yeah. should, I mean, the, the other message about masking, Pat, is very simple. If you're worried, wear an FFP2. Remember, and if they do lift yeah. the mandate, which looks like it's going to happen, isn't it? Let's face it. Just wear an FFP2 if you're worried, because you'll be protected with that mask. You see, and then you needn't worry as much. You know, is the kind of message. There. But that, that's a strange one. They, they may have picked it up off a surface. You never see if someone took the mask yeah. off and coughed on a surface, and, you ha- and you're unlucky, and you touch that surface, and it's in your face, then you might catch it. Catch it. You see. Yeah, so the, it's still, um, you know, still out there and we should be very careful. What is your belief yourself about masks? I mean, you're someone who takes the dart regularly. Um, yeah. 
I definitely. In what circumstances should we still have, if you like, a mandate to wear yeah. masks as distinct from advice? Because I'm sure the advice will be one way or the other. Uh, you know, if you feel vulnerable, wear a mask. Yeah, I'd mandate them on public transport for definite because we, we know from other studies years ago, you mainly catch colds and flus on public transport in winter because you're crammed in together. It's obvious. Enough. One reason why flu went down, we think, is less people were on public transport and we were wearing masks, you know, so protected against flu as well in that regard. Yeah? So public transport, enclosed space, very stuffy, perfect place for the virus to spread. So I'd certainly maintain mask wearing on public transport. Other settings, it'll have to become optional. I mean, we can't have laws about everything, can we, in a sense? Mm-hmm. My other concern is we're still in the middle of winter, remember? So I think if they, they should maybe leave it a few weeks, really, you know, until the, until the winter's yeah. passed, because the virus is still rampant out there, remember? So it makes sense to me to leave it a few more weeks, but we'll see. I guess they are going to, it looks like they're going to lift the mandate and, and reckon, yeah. remember, they recommend we should wear masks anyway, we should keep wearing them. So the, the idea would be at least wait until flu season has passed. Exactly. Yes, that would be the sensible <laughs> yeah. thing to do. Yeah, another few weeks, basically, yeah. Yeah. Um, has Luke heard of high doses of niacin, uh, one of the vitamin Bs, as a treatment for long COVID? That's from Mary. No, I haven't, I must say. I mean, there can be nutritional aspects, though, remember. And if you're a bit malnourished and you've got a vitamin imbalance, that, that won't help you anyway, you know. So, so as ever with these things, try to keep up your nutritional status. And maybe niacin, if you're deficient in that, it might be sensible to take it, you know, because remember, you're trying to correct things in your body in a way. So keep, and by the way, the other big thing for anybody with long COVID, mild exercise is beneficial. Not, don't overdo it, by the way, because obviously fatigue is a feature. Anything like mild exercise, good nutrition, all helps. Mm. Um, with so many people suffering from long COVID, why are we treating Omicron as if it's nothing? Well, that's uh, exactly the pressure right. this will put on the health system uh, could be enormous. Uh, more delays, more trolleys and so on. That, that's the issue, so, really. Yeah, this is the thing to remember, that there are still consequences from this virus out there. But remember, if you're, now we're lucky, but there's such a high level of vaccination. We would expect lower incidence of long COVID in Ireland for that reason, as we're, as we're just discussing, you see. So it's, it's places where there's low vaccination rates where it's a really big worry, you know. But, but in our situation, vaccination is protecting against it, which is a good thing. Luke O'Neill, Professor of Biochemistry at Trinity College in Dublin, thank you very much for joining us. Now-